guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing well. That's all I have. You're looking up in the sky. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I told you about my son getting stuck on the roof this weekend. Yes, I had so much anxiety just from looking at the photo that you sent me uh-huh. of your son on the roof. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not that mom. I'm not the let your kids go on the roof kind of mom, I guess. <laughs> I want to be that mom. So then I try that and then I'm immediately faced with this was a terrible idea because he got stuck up there or, you know, we didn't have a, it, we didn't have the right ladder to get up there. And so coming down, he was like, nope, not doing it. I can't. I'd have to kind of hop and anyway. Have you ever been on a roof, Melissa, and had to get down? Isn't it kind of like, I feel like it seems fine until it comes time to get down. And that gets a little tricky. Even if you have a taller ladder, I feel like that's the part where I get scared is having to go down. Yeah. But see, I remember very vividly like my uncle redoing our roof when I was a kid and being up there just like walking around. So like I have fond memories of being up on a roof, which was what I was trying to create for my son. But then two nights ago, did I tell you this? I might have saved this because I wanted to tell you now. He got stuck in a tree in our yard. No. (laughs) So (laughs) he's like just new to this whole climbing thing and he doesn't have shoes on. I'm vacuuming. My vacuum dies and I hear, mom, help. Luckily, my vacuum dies. I go out there. (laughs) No, I go up there. He's stuck and like proud of himself, though, you know, because he's like, look how high I am. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll have to send you a picture now. But then my husband had to go back to my father-in-law's, get the giant ladder. And I'm like, you know what we're going to do next? Buy a giant ladder because this is getting kind (laughs) of ridiculous. Is there any ladder companies out there that want to sponsor us? Here I I will have lots of uh, (laughs) personal experience to use. But I was like, yeah, cool. You got... Caught twice in three days. So that's kind of how my, I feel like that's a typical week for me though, but it was fun. It was, it's always a fun time over here. So I enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I am uh, freshly back from visiting my family in New York. I went up there and saw my sister for her 30th birthday. I got to see, I was only there just for like not even 72 hours, but I got to see a lot of people. I saw my grandmother, my mom, I got to see my little nephew. So it was a wonderful trip. Yeah. And I'm happy to be um, home now and back in my routine. And thankfully, nothing big planned for the month of May. Knocking on wood right now because I don't want anything big to come up for the month of May either. (laughs) There actually might be something at the end of May, but we will get to that (laughs) another time. But I know what you mean. My husband will be like, do not plan anything this weekend. I'm like, nothing's planned for this weekend. And by Friday, I'm like, okay, so on Saturday, (laughs) here's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it always works. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Melissa. So we'll get into the story for this week. This is a very interesting story. I think everybody will understand why as we kind of get into it. It's not the type of story that we hear about super often. So on that note, I'm curious to know, how common it is to find high school sweethearts anymore. I know like a lot of people that you talk to say they've been together for a really long time. I don't know. I feel like at our age, I don't know that many people that have been with the same person that they were with in high school. So it leads me to kind of assume that maybe it's not as common as it used to be. Or it it starts out, maybe it doesn't end up that way. But right. at what point they were high school sweethearts, their first go round in marriage, maybe. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess really, I'm just trying to think about how common it is anymore to remain in like a long term or committed relationship with the person that you fell in love with back in high school. Like I said, it just doesn't feel like you hear about it that much anymore. But there was a time when I feel like it was super common to meet the person that you would eventually marry at a pretty early age or what we would consider an early age now. One of my favorite love stories that kind of goes along with that is the story of my grandparents on my mom's side. Um, They actually met each other. My grandfather used to love to tell how he met my grandmother on the playground, spinning her around on the, what's that thing? The puka whirl thing that you just get on and spin. There's no really reason. Oh, that's the thing my son busted his head open on. So yeah, I'm very familiar with that one. Glad there's a love story to come from this. (laughs) Yes. So that's where my grandparents met each other. They were only 13 years old and... My grandfather always used to joke around that he had just not let go of her since then. Um, So, of course, yeah. So, of course, they went on to have four kids. One of them was my mom. And then they had several grandchildren and a few great grandkids. And my grandmother always.
always remained really committed to my grandfather and saw to his care. She even visited him and spent hours with him every day when he was in the care facility suffering with Alzheimer's disease at the end of his life. Um, it really is just one of my favorite love stories. I love the story of my grandparents, but it started so early and they really went all the way with it. So I feel like that's kind of something you don't hear about anymore. My grandfather always used to love to say it this little quote that always has like stuck with me. He actually said this to me and my husband when we first got together, um, which I thought was interesting because I was older than he was when he met my grandmother, you know, at the time that I met my husband. But he used to say to us, the problem with you kids today is you don't stick together. Well, he may have been onto something with that. My husband and I have stuck together. Um, I was like, hang on, you're wording that a little. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that's what you're meaning to say. I feel like just as I was saying, since you don't hear about this kind of thing so often, maybe that's maybe there's some truth to that. But for the couple in today's story, Lindsay and Joy Champion, they did stick together. They were both born in neighboring counties in Kentucky in the early to mid 1950s. Lindsay Champion was born to his parents, Boyd and Doris, and he was raised with his sister, Lisa, and his brother, Lauren. In the late 1950s, the Champion family moved to a farm in Cady's, where Lindsay and his siblings learned the value of hard work and dedication to their community. Lindsay attended Trigg County High School, where he was known for his dry sense of humor. Many people described him as being a really, really funny guy. We're not sure if it was his charming sense of humor or if it was something else, but Lindsay caught the eye of a slightly younger girl named Joy Allen, and the two became high school sweethearts. Joy was described as being one of a kind, really kind-hearted woman, and she was a great listener and a mother to all. One of her friends said that she, quote, didn't pull any punches. Joy and Lindsay were married in the summer of 1972, right after Joy graduated from high school, and from there, the couple began to build their lives together. Lindsay went off to Western Kentucky University, where he was a member of the Pi Kappa Phi fraternity. He studied math and business finance and graduated in 1974. He then got a job at the local farm credit services office in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, where he remained a dedicated employee serving the agriculture needs of local farmers for 38 years before he retired as the director. He was awarded the Friend of Agriculture Award at the annual Trigg County Agriculture Appreciation Dinner, and he was also on the Trigg County Board of Education, the Trigg County Cattlemen's Association, and he was a member of a local motorcycle riding club in his spare time. <laughs> Sounds like he didn't have much of it with all those I know. other things. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. So Joy attended Murray State University, and she graduated in 1976 with a degree in elementary education. She, too, found a love for her career as a teacher at Trigg County Elementary School. She was described as being a dedicated educator who loved her students, and she ended up teaching there for 30 years before she retired. She was honored as Educator of the Year in 2008 by the Katie's Trigg County Chamber of Commerce. She was also a member of the Trigg County Writing Club. But long before the couple retired, they achieved many of their life goals, one of which was to have a family. Things were going well in the champion marriage after they both had graduated from college and they started to get settled into their careers. A few years after Joy started teaching, the couple felt like the only thing that was really missing was a baby, so they made the decision to start their family. The champions were excited to welcome their first son, Austin, only to be met with heartbreak when he passed away shortly after birth. Joy unfortunately suffered multiple miscarriages after the loss of Austin, and despite years of trying to conceive, they were never able to have another baby together. In late 1978 or early 1979, the couple's dream of having a family led them to adopt a baby boy named Ryan. Ryan was born in September of 1978, so he was just a few months old when the champions brought him home. When Ryan was five years old, Lindsay and Joy got the surprise of a lifetime when they found out that Joy was pregnant. Their daughter, Emily, joined the family in April of 1983. So we don't have a ton of information about the family when Ryan and Emily were very young, but everything really suggests that the Champion family was, for the most part, pretty average. Emily and Ryan were both really smart kids, but unlike Emily, who constantly strived to better herself, Ryan kind of lacked direction and didn't seem to apply himself the way his younger sister did. In the early to mid-2000s, Ryan was in his mid-20s and still searching for a sense of purpose, so he decided to join the Army, which was something that his parents, Lindsay and Joy, supported. The whole family really thought that the military would be a good fit for Ryan, and he served for eight years in the military before being discharged. 
He moved back to Kentucky when he was out of the service and found work as a contractor doing construction jobs such as tiling bathrooms. Meanwhile, Lindsay and Joy's daughter Emily finished high school and was voted most likely to succeed. One of her classmates said that Emily was a treasured friend and a driven woman who had a promising future ahead of her. As a kid growing up, Emily shared in her mom's love of horses, and she always knew that she wanted to become a veterinarian one day. She set very specific goals for herself, and she studied hard at Western Kentucky University. Emily finished her degree in animal science in 2004, and she went on to attend Auburn University's College of Veterinary Medicine, where she graduated in 2008. She then went to work for a vet clinic in Sunset, Louisiana, where she specialized in equine care. By 2014, Lindsay and Joy were both retired from their careers, and Lindsay was spending his time helping his brother and sister with Champion Farms. Ryan was still working as a contractor, and Emily had actually just accepted a new job, and she would be starting that in November of that year. In between her job transition, Emily took the opportunity to take a little bit of time off to go back and visit her family for the last weekend in October. On October 25th, Emily ran in the Urban Bourbon Half Marathon while she was in town visiting. Later that evening, the champion parents went to a friend's birthday party, and they had a great time. Everybody was completely unaware of the horrifying tragedy that was about to unfold. The next day, October 26th, began like any other day on the farm. The champions lived right across the street from Lindsay's sister, who was named Lisa. I'm not really sure if there were multiple houses on this farm and the whole champion family kind of lived there, but it kind of seemed that way. There was at least multiple residences or more than one residence. I swear that's like such a... A common thing, especially in the South, I think, where For you sure. have like yeah. a family, a lot of times it's their last name on the road and then like right. multiple people live there. Yeah. yeah. So it seemed definitely like it was something like that. So at around 1144 that morning, Lisa was startled by somebody at her door and they were yelling out her name. When she opened the door, she saw that it was her 36-year-old nephew, Ryan, and he had a gun in his hands and he had his wrists taped together with duct tape. Ryan was yelling and telling his Aunt Lisa to call 911, but he didn't say what was wrong at that point. Lisa did call for help, and she just told the operator that her nephew, Ryan Champion, showed up with his hands duct taped. She said he didn't seem to be injured, but she couldn't figure out what was going on exactly. The operator kept Lisa on the phone while they tried to get more information out of Ryan. And from what they could piece together, there was some guy who liked his sister Emily that had broken into their house Ryan didn't say a whole lot more, but he did say that they needed an ambulance. Lisa then told the 911 operator that she was going to go back across the street with Ryan to wait for the first responders. And we have so much more to get into with this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I'm nearing my 40th trip around the sun, and at this point, it feels like my entire body is falling apart some days. But the thought of finding a doctor who actually takes my insurance and has appointments available is a literal nightmare. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. ZocDoc is used and trusted by millions of users, allowing you the convenience of not only finding a doctor in your area that meets your needs, but one that fits in your schedule. You can actually book your appointment with a few taps in their app, which also means you aren't stuck on hold just to be told the doctor has no availability anytime soon. I had shoulder tendonitis last year that has absolutely cleared up thanks to a steroid shot, but it actually took me months to see the doctor because every time I'd call an orthopedic near me, either they didn't have a new appointment or maybe their doctor didn't see shoulder or they just didn't take my insurance. After a while, my shoulder had gotten worse to where I had to spend a whole morning calling offices until I finally was able to schedule an appointment. I really wish I would have known about ZocDoc at that time. Not only could I have sorted my options by doctors who actually take my insurance and treat what I actually needed, but I could have read real patient reviews to find a doctor I felt comfortable with. Go to ZocDoc.com slash mysteries and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mysteries. ZocDoc dot com slash mysteries. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey, all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. Bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer, step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mystery surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music, everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were discussing the champion family. They were Lindsay, Joy, they had their son, Ryan, who had been adopted as an infant, as well as their biological daughter, Emily. And the champion family was pretty ordinary. They lived on this farm that was called Champion Farm, and they were all very active in their community. On October 26, 2014, Ryan Champion showed up at his aunt's house who happened to live across the street, and he told her that someone had broken into his parents' home and attacked them. He had duct tape around his wrist, and he told his aunt that he needed someone to send an ambulance. So as Lisa's talking to Ryan, she cuts the the duct tape off of Ryan's wrist and tells him that they're going to go back over to the house. And so on the way over, Lisa asked Ryan where everyone else was in the house. And Ryan said, quote, they're in there. You don't want to go in there, end quote. So when Lisa gets out of her truck, she can see a bullet hole in the front door. And the next thing Lisa sees is her brother, Lindsay. He was lying on a concrete landing off the side of the house with gunshot wounds to the head. Lisa then frantically made her way inside the house where she found her niece, Emily, bound with several layers of duct tape at her hands and feet. The bottom of her face from her nose to her chin was wrapped seven or eight times, and Emily had been shot twice in the head. Lisa also found Joy lying slumped over face down in the basement. She had been shot in the face. First responders, including Sheriff Ray Burnham, soon arrived, and while searching the scene, they found the body of a fourth person, an unknown man. His body was found near the front door of the home. Investigators found an ID on the man and learned that he was someone named Vito Reservato. It was quickly theorized that Vito was the assailant that had broken into the champion home and began this deadly assault. But what they couldn't figure out was who this guy was or what connection he had to the champion family. No one seemed to have ever heard of him. Meanwhile, Ryan had somehow escaped this brutal attack on his family, and he was the sole survivor. Investigator announced to the public that they believe Vito shot and killed Lindsay, Joy, and Emily Champion before taking his own life. They said that one family member was present but survived, but they wouldn't provide more details or name Ryan as the surviving victim. While investigators were working the crime scene at the Champion home, 
Ryan was taken to the hospital where he spent a few hours before being released. When he left the hospital, Ryan went back to his parents' house where he spoke with Sergeant Miller about what had happened that day. Ryan told the officer that he and Emily had been home alone, just hanging out in the living room when someone suddenly entered the house. They assumed it was their parents, Lindsay and Joy, getting home early from church that morning, but it wasn't. It was Vito. Ryan said that Vito had two rolls of duct tape and a gun. But the question still remained. Who exactly was Vito, and how did he even know this family? According to Ryan, he had only just met Vito a few days earlier, but he said that Vito quickly developed an obsession with his sister Emily. Ryan said that Vito had burst into the house and pointed the gun at him and told him that if he did anything stupid, Vito was going to hurt Emily. Vito then taped the siblings to chairs and ordered them to stay still, and he promised them that if they didn't move, nobody would get hurt. When Lindsay and Joy really did arrive home from church that morning, Vito took off running out of the side door, and Ryan said that he then heard gunshots outside moments later. Vito came running back inside and shot Emily twice before turning the gun on Ryan. By some miracle, the gun was empty, and Vito then had to fumble around with it to load a new magazine, which is when Ryan saw his opportunity to make a move and fight Vito off. Ryan said that he managed to get control of Vito's gun, and he used it to shoot Vito in self-defense, and then he ran to his Aunt Lisa's house to get help. Investigators started digging into Vito's background, and they learned that he was originally from Las Vegas. He was born in July of 1992, so he was just 22 years old at the time of his death. Vito had moved to Tennessee in 2004, and by 2006, he was living in Kentucky. He was known as being a really nice and a really popular guy that didn't seem to really have a problem with anyone. He was a member of the ROTC in high school, and he graduated in 2010. From there, he joined the culinary arts program at Sullivan University. He also had a one-year-old son that lived with him in a house that they shared with six other roommates. Vito didn't have any criminal history to speak of. So right off the bat to the police, it seems pretty bizarre that Vito's first crime would be the massacre of an entire family. Yeah. Yeah. So they were definitely intrigued and they wanted to know more about exactly how Vito had become obsessed with Emily and what would have led him to randomly snap like this. Ryan explained to the investigators that he had met Vito through his job on October the 23rd. Ryan said that he agreed to hire Vito for some construction work, and he brought Vito over to his parents' house to pick up some tools. He says that that's when Vito allegedly became fixated on Emily because he saw her at the house, and he said that he even started making inappropriate comments about Emily to Ryan. And so Ryan says that he started to fear for Emily's safety, and eventually it got to the point where he felt like he just couldn't work with Vito anymore, so he told him, you know, it's not going to work out. I can't have you do these jobs. After this interview with Ryan, investigators set out to corroborate his story. In the meantime, though, Ryan started talking to the press. On October 27th, which was one day after the murders, Ryan went on CBS affiliate WTVF and publicly blamed everything on Vito. He said Vito had entered the farmhouse, tied his sister up, and held the two of them at gunpoint. Ryan said that Vito acted erratically and that his only concern was for Emily the whole time. Ryan said that his parents had just come home from church in the middle of the attack. Ryan told WTVF how he managed to free himself and turn the tables on Vito by overpowering him, and then he went to his aunt's house to get help. He changed his story in the media interview, though. He said that Vito shot his parents and his sister and then himself after Ryan had escaped and ran for help. He also said he'd only met Vito one time prior to the shootings and that Vito was, quote, a new person to all of us. Ryan claimed Vito had come to the Champion home the night before the murders and said that he had run out of gas. Furthermore, Ryan stated that he felt like his life was spared because Vito didn't see him as a threat. He said, quote, he got close enough to me that I could turn the tables and that was it. Every minute the entire thing was going on, that's all I was waiting for. I was waiting for an opportunity, end quote. Ryan said it was very upsetting for him to go back to his parents' house where his family had been killed. The reporter then asked Ryan how he was holding up. He basically seemed remarkably composed. And Ryan responded, quote, To be honest, I really don't know yet really how to feel about any of this. It was, it was just horrible, end quote. 
Ryan looked emotionless as he searched for the words to say. He did say that his parents were unbelievably good people. According to Oxygen, pretty much everyone was shocked to learn that Ryan was back at the crime scene so soon. Ryan continued to give these interviews to the media, and he also posted on Facebook about the attack. He talked about how he had survived the shooting and was at home recuperating. He also said he needed money and he had been working odd jobs to pay for gas and bills. He would also post these updates, which is very Facebook-like, and say things like, quote, I cried so much, I dehydrated myself that day, end quote, and also said that he still gets weak talking about the murders. By the end of October, investigators announced that they weren't looking into any other suspects, but they said that they were still investigating these murders and they were trying to piece together the whole thing. They said, quote, we know that Vito had possibly been at the Champion residence sometime in the last week. We don't know if he just happened upon the residence or if he knew somebody there. At some point, one of Vito's roommates named Ariel saw Ryan's interview, and she came forward with an interview of her own, and she revealed some interesting information. Ariel said that Ryan was not telling the truth about his relationship with Vito. She said they did actually know each other. In fact, they were friends before the killings. Ariel told WSMV that Vito had always been a really upbeat, happy kind of guy, but he had lost his job about three weeks before the murders, and he was really struggling for money. During that time, his cheerful attitude turned into a more subdued one, and he started growing more upset about not being able to afford basic things for his young son. According to Ariel, about a week before the murders, Vito told her that he was offered an extreme amount of money to kill somebody. Ariel told Vito that he was, quote, crazy if he did it, and Vito never told Ariel or any other roommate about any plans he actually had to murder someone after that. According to Ariel, on the day of the murders, Vito came down the stairs and he was getting ready to leave. He threw his phone on the couch and he told her that he'd be back in about two to three hours. That day, Ariel sensed that something was wrong, and her intuition turned out to be right because Vito never came back that day. Ariel said she felt like Vito had somehow been set up. She had a really hard time believing that he would have been somebody who would kill people that he barely even knew. She said, quote, I'm not saying Vito's innocent. If Vito did it, he's in the wrong. Nobody deserves death, but I hope he gets justice, end quote. After investigators heard Ariel's interview, they started to take a lot closer look into the Champion family murders. After all, there really are still a lot of questions they didn't have answers to. For example, if Ryan had fought Vito off, why didn't he have any signs of it? He didn't have any scratches or marks on him. And also, why would Vito kill Emily if he was newly obsessed with her? Like we were talking about, Emily was just in town for the, you know, just a short time visiting her family. She had only just met him. Right. They were questioning how his obsession could have gone to this level really over the course of uh, just a day or two. Like it wasn't like they had known each other and he'd been obsessing over her for quite some time. He literally just met her. So that doesn't really line up with your typical, you know, like stalker yeah. obsession type of killing like that. So they started to kind of question how, you know, if that would even be possible. Right. The rest of Vito's roommates were slowly interviewed, and through talking to them, investigators learned that one day, Vito had come home really happy and talking about this new job he had that would pay him $30,000. Vito told one or more of his roommates that this guy named Ryan had hired him to kill three people. The roommates, though, didn't believe any of this. None of them believed that Vito was any sort of hitman. He was actually terrified of guns, according to everyone the police talked to about him. But all of this led to further investigation. On October 29th, Sergeant Miller brought Ryan back to the crime scene and asked him to reenact the shooting. This time, after hearing Ryan's account of what happened, Sergeant Miller felt there was nothing believable about it. The details didn't logically fit into the story the way Ryan told it. I'm always amazed with that if you've ever seen like footage of someone who is maybe not telling the truth reenacting something because they're having to think so much about it. Like right. if you really went through something, there might be pieces you miss, but you're going to remember what door you came in. Right. You're going to remember, you know, these certain things, but it's almost like they're having to go back in their head and recreate it. So right. And then especially after you've already talked to the police and kind of verbally given your story and then having right. to be like, wait, 
not, you know, having to really work, like you said, think hard to not contradict something you've already told them. And like, whenever you're doing this reenactment, it has to line up exactly with what you've already described to them. Otherwise, instantly, they're going to be like, well, that's not like what you verbally told us, you know, the day after the murder or whatever, whatever it is, because yeah, the police will keep, they keep a record of everything you say. So they're going to bring it up if you, if you slip up and you don't say something, you know, that matches. Yeah, absolutely. So one one example of this was Ryan saying that when Vito ran past him to shoot Emily, he said, excuse me. And Sergeant Miller felt that this detail was ridiculous. I find myself to be a very polite person. I don't think in that situation, running and trying to hurt someone, my first thought would be to say, excuse me. That's no. <laughs> very far-fetched. <laughs> yeah. So another issue with Ryan's story was that the gun magazine that Vito used could only hold seven bullets. Before he reloaded his magazine, he had already shot Lindsay four times, Joy twice, and Emily four times. So that's 10 bullets, meaning Vito couldn't have been reloading his gun when Ryan took the gun from him. So after this reenactment, Ryan's taken down to the police station for further questioning. He told investigators that he did not kill his family, but Sergeant Miller wasn't buying it anymore. He was now convinced that Ryan killed his family and Vito without a doubt. However, due to a lack of solid evidence to prove it, Ryan was not arrested. The investigation continued, and with a high level of suspicion surrounding Ryan, investigators were desperate to find more evidence that linked him to the murders. They started by looking more closely at the rolls of duct tape that were found in the Champion House, as well as the tape used to bind Emily and Ryan's wrist. So remember, when he went to his Aunt Lisa's house, she cut the duct tape off of his wrist. So Ryan's official story was that Vito duct taped his hands first before Emily's because Ryan was a bigger threat than his sister was. Investigators set out to prove that Ryan was taped up last, and they did just that. When they looked at the tape found on Ryan's wrist and compared it to the tape at the end of the roll, they were a perfect match, meaning the last piece of tape ripped or cut from the roll was used to tape Ryan's hands. This brought investigators one step closer to proving that Ryan had committed the murders and then taped his own hands before going to his aunt's and calling 911. That's such solid police work to yeah. do that. Like that was like, aha, that was such a big thing to me. Yeah, I know. I thought that was pretty fascinating too. That to me, it sounded like more like something that you would see on CSI and right. like, not like something that would be in a real investigation. So I thought that was kind yeah. of like a neat thing. Kudos. Yeah. yeah. So with this new evidence, the new theory was that Ryan had actually hired Vito to murder his parents and his sister. And then Ryan turned on Vito and decided to kill him so that he wouldn't have to pay the hitman fees. While they were almost positive that Ryan was behind the quadruple murder, they still didn't have any idea what the motive could be at this point. So they continued to dig. On October 31st, Ryan was arrested and formally charged with one count of murder, three counts of complicity to commit murder, and one count of complicity to commit kidnapping, and that was stemming from the fact that Emily had been restrained before she was shot. Ryan was really shocked when he was taken into custody, and he refused to speak with the investigators. He was held on $5 million bond, which was $1 million for each count, and the state announced that they would be seeking the death penalty in this case. The prosecutor's office told the media that the Champion family murder started out as this murder-for-hire scheme that Vito would have gotten paid for, but it didn't work out that way. Instead, he was also murdered. They said, we're still looking at Vito's involvement. He was involved in the incident, but we just determined that Ryan had much more involvement than he had stated. About a week or so after his arrest, Ryan told WKDZ Radio that he was innocent and all the evidence against him was far weaker than the prosecutors would have you believe. Ryan said that he was really looking forward to a time when he could get out of prison and leave all this behind him. He said he was just trying to grieve for his family in a way that he felt he hadn't been allowed to yet. So while the investigators seemed to be certain that Ryan had planned the deaths of his family members, there were others that weren't quite as convinced. A longtime friend of Ryan's named Anne Plotkin told 48 Hours that she really believed in Ryan's innocence. Anne alleged that Vito had previously dated her daughter and that she knew him and she knew that he was a violent and mentally ill man. She said this allegation that Ryan was guilty of plotting the whole massacre was, quote, complete BS. Furthermore, Anne said that Ryan had introduced Vito to his family and Vito had become obsessed with Emily, which led to Ryan firing Vito. 
When Anne heard about the murders on the news, she said that her jaw hit the floor and she instantly thought that Vito was the killer and that Ryan had killed Vito in self-defense. Anne said that the police wouldn't listen to her, even though she had really tried to contact them and tell them her story and she tried to tell them the same thing. So according to Anne, it was she who had actually introduced Vito to Ryan just a few weeks before the murders. She said that Ryan needed help with a tiling job and Vito needed money, so she connected the two of them. She said that Ryan was just the type of guy that would give you the shirt off his back. Anne really continued to stick up for Ryan. She would often take to Facebook to post her support for him, and she even said things like Ryan would, quote, always be number one in her heart, end quote. On November 13th, Anne wrote on Facebook, quote, I miss Ryan so much that it hurts. I know that he didn't do anything wrong, in all capital letters with three exclamation points. I'm going to go and see him the day after tomorrow. Here's the team champion. I know that Ryan would be so touched by everything. I miss and love you, Ryan, end quote. Which sounds like a pretty close relationship. Right. For some rando or, you know, like this friend of a friend, basically, that sets these people up. So as the investigation was really just starting to heat up, more and more tips began to come in. Sometime after Ryan was arrested, a man that knew the Champion family reported that he saw Ryan at a Waffle House just five days before the murders. He was with Vito and a woman. Investigators obtained security footage from the Waffle House and soon learned that the mystery woman was none other than our favorite Facebooker, Ann Plotkin. So this meant that Ryan was lying about way more than they thought. When he said he'd only known Vito for three days... That was clearly a lie. This footage proved that he knew Vito for at least five days. Investigators already knew who Anne was because she had put herself out there as this advocate for Ryan, and she had been very outspoken about her support. Not to mention, Ryan had also mentioned Anne before. He apparently told investigators to talk to her if they wanted someone to confirm that Vito was obsessed with Emily which is very convenient. Right. And we still have so much more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Are you tired of lugging those bulky and wasteful cleaning supplies that are not only bad for you, but also bad for the planet? Well, it's time to say goodbye to those nasty plastic bottles and say hello to Blue Land. Here's a statistic that might make you cringe, Mandy. Did you know that 5 billion plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away each year? I mean, I'm thrilled we're all cleaning our hands and cleaning our houses, but that's a lot of waste. Plus, those bottles are full of toxic ingredients like chlorine and ammonia, which is really no bueno. But fear not. Blueland is here to save the day with their endlessly refillable cleaning products. Just fill your bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and you're good to go. You'll not only have a sparkling clean home, but you can do so without harming the environment. And it's 2023. Let's be honest. It's all about the aesthetic. And Blueland really nails it. It's so chic, it'll make your other cleaning supplies jealous. Plus, with refills starting at just $2.25, you'll save money and the planet. And if you want even more savings, you can set up a subscription or buy in bulk. Blueland has everything from cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all made with clean ingredients you can trust. And with scents like iris agave, fresh lemon, and eucalyptus mint, your home will smell amazing too. I am a huge fan of my kitchen spray and eucalyptus mint. Everything smells so clean when I use it without smelling all chemically. And I love that the bottle is nice and cute, so I can just leave it on the counter if I want. To get 15% off your first order, go to blueland.com slash moms. You won't want to miss this. blueland.com slash moms. That's blueland.com slash moms. Want to get away? Yeah, I do too. But since that's not really on the agenda anytime soon, I'll have to settle for a different kind of journey. And you can too, all with a fun mobile game. June's Journey allows you to enter the realm of June Parker, where an extraordinary adventure awaits. Best of all, no plane tickets needed. Say goodbye to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a world where intrigue meets elegance, courtesy of the drama-filled exploits of June Parker. Whether you're in need of a riveting mystery or simply yearning to escape the monotony of everyday life, June's Journey is your gateway to excitement. Follow June as she unravels hidden family secrets and navigates the intricate web surrounding her sister's demise. It's sort of like an upscale soiree minus the dull weather discussions, although we secretly enjoy those too. But hold on to your pearls as June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. 
I'm deep in the fifth chapter with each section proving more enjoyable than the last. From the awe-inspiring scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect of June's journey exudes sophistication and refinement. Don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure commence. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. How's that saying go? Failing to plan is planning to fail. And as much as I'd like to pretend I could just wing it through life, I know that I can't. But no matter how much planning I do, if I can't get a good night's sleep to execute it, all the planning in the world couldn't save me. And I'm sure you've been there before too. But thanks to Magnesium Breakthrough, no matter what my day looks like, I know I can go into it being well rested and feeling great. For me personally, taking Magnesium Breakthrough before I go to bed has helped me solve some of those sleep problems, including that winding down after a long day, as well as tossing and turning while I'm rehashing literally every second of the day. And while there are a lot of magnesium supplements out there, only one can give you all seven forms of magnesium that are designed to help calm your mind and help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up feeling refreshed, and that is Magnesium Breakthrough. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to buy buyoptimizers.com slash moms. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's buyoptimizers.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout to save 10%. And now back to the episode. We've been talking about the story of the champion family murders in October of 2014. Lindsay, Joy, and their daughter Emily Champion were all murdered along with a fourth man named Vito Reservado. It was initially assumed that Ryan Champion's account of the murders was true, and this man Vito had attacked the family before being overtaken by Ryan, who then turned the gun on him, leaving Ryan the sole survivor of this brutal massacre. As the investigation started to heat up, it became clear that things weren't as they seemed, and Ryan was looking more and more suspicious. He was soon arrested and charged with the murders, but it was his girlfriend, Ann Plotkin, who really started drawing even more attention to Ryan and his potential involvement. So the investigators did go and speak with Anne themselves, and she stuck to her insistence that Ryan was innocent of these charges against him. She said that she had actually known Ryan for years and admitted that they were romantically involved. She actually called him her ride or die partner, which is something that you hear people say. It's not like that's an uncommon phrase, but I don't know that those are the terms I would use to describe my relationship to the police. Especially not when your bride or die partner could be responsible for four murders. So when investigators started to press her for more information, such as whether she had messages between herself, Vito, and Ryan, she actually got her phone and started to delete things. And so her phone was then seized and taken from her. From there, the investigators were able to obtain phone and social media records for Ryan, Anne, and Vito. And they found out that Anne was, in fact, this middleman between Ryan and Vito. The two men actually didn't even communicate with each other directly. They always went through Anne. It was quickly realized that Anne had played not just an active role, but a pretty big role in planning the Champion family murders. The police obtained a warrant for her arrest, and she was taken into custody in February of 2015. 41-year-old Anne was charged with three counts of complicity to commit capital murder. She actually, when when they came to get her, she started in trying to arrest her. She started kind of flailing around and saying like that she wasn't under arrest, saying I'm not under arrest, I'm not under arrest. So she ended up also getting charged with resisting arrest after that. That's just hilarious to imagine someone I'm being like, no, arrest. actually, I'm not yeah. under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like just saying it doesn't make it true, but right. yeah. <laughs> but it is. Um, I mean, it's. It's great that they gave her. I mean, I don't know. It's great, but I just thought it was funny that they were like, "No, you're getting charged with resisting arrest." Perfect. After that. Yeah. It doesn't sound like she really was like trying to fight them or anything, but she was just like verbally protesting, and they're like, "No, that's another charge for you." Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thank yeah. you. So the investigators believe that Anne's motive was that she loved Ryan and she wanted to be with him, and they also felt that it was really true that Ryan was actually just using her. So as bits and pieces of the story started to come together to form this big picture one major question was still lingering. Why did Ryan do this? What motive did he have to kill his whole family? An ex-girlfriend of Ryan that officers spoke with finally helped to answer that question. According to this particular woman, Ryan absolutely hated his family. He had apparently felt belittled by them for a really long time because he, you know, lacked direction in his life and his sister Emily was really dedicated and accomplished. Anytime Ryan's parents were brought up, this ex-girlfriend said that he would actually get 
visibly angry, even to the point of getting red in the face. Hmm. Yeah. She said that Ryan grew up feeling like he was always treated differently than Emily. Although others who knew the family said that Lindsay and Joy treated both of their children equally and loved them both equally. Lindsay's sister, Lisa, told Oxygen that as the kids got older, she even started to notice that anytime Emily was in the spotlight or had achieved something, Ryan would do whatever he could to get the attention off of her and back onto himself. So throughout their investigation, there was never any evidence uncovered that would suggest that Ryan was mistreated by his parents. Joy's Facebook page had frequent posts about Ryan on it including a post she made on September 20th, 2014, where she had baked him a birthday cake and made him all of his favorite foods. There was now reason to believe that Ryan was jealous of his sister, Emily, and believed that his parents favored her over him. The Champion family has speculated about why they believe Ryan wanted his family dead, and some family members think Ryan just wanted his parents' inheritance, their house, land, and money, and then he wouldn't have to work. Lindsay's sister, Lisa, said that in the days before the murders, Lindsay and Joy had decided to build an addition on their house. Being that Ryan was a contractor who did construction work, he wanted to be the one to do the addition on his parents' house. But Joy and Lindsay didn't end up hiring Ryan to do the job because they felt like it was beyond his capabilities. Ryan was already very insecure about himself, his life, and his career, so being rejected, what he felt was a rejection by his own parents for this job, could have been really devastating for him. So after learning all of this, Sergeant Miller no longer believed that Vito killed any of the Champion family members. He believed that Ryan shot them all. His reason for thinking this was because all of the victims were shot in the head. Vito had no experience with guns, and according to everyone who knew him, he was actually scared of them. Ryan, on the other hand, was in the military and he had experience. The prosecutor told Oxygen that she thinks Ryan murdered his family and then killed Vito to get rid of the only witness to the murders. Mm. On December 8th, 2016, 38-year-old Ryan pleaded guilty to four counts of murder and one count of kidnapping. After he pled guilty, his Aunt Lisa said, quote, It's something we'll never get over. Honestly, I've often said that we may as well all have perished with them because of the quality of our lives afterward and what we've had to deal with because we were all very close. The following month, Ryan was sentenced to five life terms without parole. This hearing was the first time Ryan's family spoke directly to him since the murders. Joy's sister, Judy, told Ryan, quote, I cry every day wondering what my sister thought in those last few seconds of her life when she walked into the basement and saw you standing there with a gun in your hand. The shock and disbelief she must have felt to see her son standing there, knowing that she was going to die by his hand. There is no punishment great enough for what you've done. Our family is broken and devastated and will never recover. We will always be living one day at a time. That quote from her really stood out to me because just putting yourself in that position as a mother, like for some reason that just really reached out to me and was, yeah, because you can, you literally cannot imagine, you know, like just, just thinking about what was, you know, what were her final, like horrifying thoughts that she had with seeing her son, somebody that she's literally raised their entire lives standing there, like getting ready to kill her. Like that is something, Ooh, that's just a lot. That's a lot to even think about. So Judy also said, quote, you murdered my family, my beloved sister and best friend, the only one in the world who understood me. I find some peace in knowing that she closed her beautiful blue eyes on evil. And when she opened them, she saw Jesus. Judy added that Ryan didn't have compassion or a soul. She said, quote, that part of a person that makes them human is missing in you, end quote. Mm. Lindsay's sister, Lisa, who is the one who found the bodies of her brother, sister-in-law and niece, said, quote, There's some days I don't want to do anything but sleep. I have nightmares of my family. I have daymares of my family's deaths. I have guilt if I laugh because I think my family can no longer laugh. She said, the words gun and bullet caused me to flinch, knowing that my family was killed by such. I cannot even use gray duct tape anymore because when I see gray duct tape, all I see is the image of Emily, her face and head taped up, her little hands taped up like mittens. Lindsay's brother, who's Ryan's uncle, Lauren, offered Ryan forgiveness. He said, quote, I truly believe with all my heart that this is what my late brother, your late father, and Jesus wants me to do, and that's to forgive you, Ryan, he said. Ryan himself did not appear to be remorseful, nor did he address the court. His attorney spoke on his behalf and said that she wished the family well as they continued to heal. 
She said that she hoped Ryan grew in compassion and empathy behind bars and that one day he could be recognized not just for his actions as a murderer, but for more than the things he's done. At the hearing, Commonwealth attorney Carrie Ovey Wiggins said, quote, it is an awful case. There's nothing good that can be said about this case or the facts of it, end quote. She said surviving family members were okay with the plea agreement because it gave them, quote, closure and certainty, end quote. Without the agreement, they would have gone to trial. And if Ryan had been sentenced to death, he'd have years and years of appeals before he was actually executed. Ryan has never shown any remorse, and he's never really admitted to the killings. So what about Ann Plotsky? Well, she actually pleaded guilty too. On March 19th, 2017, she officially admitted guilt on three counts of complicity to commit murder. She was sentenced to 22 years in prison. When her sentence was handed down, Anne sat there silent and without any expression. She offered no words of remorse, apology, or condolence after listening to the statements of the surviving family members. Lisa addressed Anne in court and said, quote, Prior to October 26, 2014, the Plotkin name was foreign to my family. Currently, it is a name I and others associate with the murders of Lindsay, Joy, and Emily. This person was privy to the plans a week prior to October 26, 2014 that culminated in their murders. This person, and I use that term loosely, could have stopped this atrocity, but my family was not considered to be of value unless they were dead, end quote, which, man, that's a powerful statement. There were so many powerful, like, victim impact statements in this case. Like, you really can feel, like, the just how how heartbreaking and how just absolutely devastating it was to this family to lose these family members that way. And it's hard to imagine – it's hard to imagine – one family member being murdered. But to think about several family members being murdered at the same time and losing them all, that's like three separate people in your family that you're grieving at the same time. It's just like, just even thinking about it feels heavy. In such a horrific way. And by another family member. That's absolutely the worst. Yeah. So Joy's sister, Judy, also spoke to Anne. She said, quote, you sentenced Joy, Lindsay, and Emily to death and the rest of the family to life without them. Our world is not as bright since they've been gone. Three beautiful lives gone, and you and Ryan left. There's no justice in that. Joy, Lindsay, and Emily did more good in one day in their lives than you've done in your entire life. They touched more lives, made more memories, and loved more deeply than you could with three lifetimes. They didn't deserve to die, and you don't deserve to live. Ooh. Yeah. After Anne's sentencing was through, attorney Carrie Ovi Wiggins told the media, quote, It's a good feeling to know that this is now behind the family members who were left behind. The wounds open back up every time we have a court appearance, so I'm happy that we were able to get the resolutions that we did in both cases. The pain for the family and the loss for them is never going to go away, but it's my hope for them now that we have both cases resolved. Those wounds will maybe start to close up a little bit. So where are they now? Well, on February 4th of 2019, the parole board held a hearing to discuss whether or not 46-year-old Anne should be released from prison or placed on probation due to a terminal illness. The Champion family actually went to this hearing to oppose her release, and on February 7th, the board denied the release. The very next day, Anne passed away. Today, 44-year-old Ryan is still incarcerated in Eastern Kentucky Correctional Complex, and I assume serving you know, that many life sentences with no parole, that is where he will be until the end of his life. Yeah. Man, those victim impact statements, there's really something to be said for those. And especially for Ryan and Anne not to have any comments, but them to say, this is exactly how you hurt us. And I don't know, that one about they lived more in their lifetime than you could in three lifetimes. They were yeah. you know, more compassionate, more loving, made more memories. Like, man, that just speaks yeah. so much of um, them and their family. Really, yeah, really sad. Very, very, very sad. Yeah, I was telling you uh, before we started recording that this story – Reminded me a lot of the Stockdale family murders. We talked about that. I'm not even sure how long ago it was now. It seems like it's been a while, but that was the one, if you remember, that had the wife swap connection. They were on wife swap, and um, they kind of – the boys had grown up in this very strict um, environment where everything was very structured, and eventually one of the sons – turned on the family and ended up killing his family. Um, And that's kind of something, like I said in the beginning of this episode, that it's a little, it's not that it's different, but I feel like we don't hear about a lot of cases where a child is murdering their parents because it is 
pretty rare. Like it doesn't really happen a lot. And it always is kind of one of those things where you're just like, wow, like that can happen. You know, that's something that happens in some families. It's like so tragic and heartbreaking. Yeah. It kind of reminded me a little bit of that story. Yeah. The Bart Whitaker one is another one I thought of where he killed his mom and his brother, shot his dad, right. and, and the his dad dad's, survived. The dad survived, and he still works to get him off death row. I mean, he's wow. working constantly yeah. for that, and I can't imagine. Okay, Melissa, so uh, let's turn the page. Um, this was kind of a heavy story. So before we get out of here, let's do a little last thing before we go. Last week, I didn't like the game we played. I thought it was like, okay, but it wasn't... Great. So if you didn't like wait, it either, that's okay. Didn't we do the one where we were like, unfortunately, wait, it was such a good game. It was, was so it? good. Oh. People enjoyed it. It was hilarious. <laughs> I didn't even read people's feedback oh about that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. People enjoyed it. It was one of my favorites. And you're like, obviously, everyone hated that last oh. week. I'm like, what are you talking about? Okay. Great. Well, if you didn't like it, cool. I apparently didn't either. If you did like it, and um, you want us to play more stupid games, we have another stupid game for you today. Actually, this one I think will be a little bit more fun. We're going to see how well we do. It's a memory game. So Melissa was saying she has not doesn't have a good memory. I don't feel like I have a great memory either. Oh. But yeah, so the way this one goes is we can either say, let's just say, where do you, where should we pretend like we're going, Melissa? Let's, let's pick somewhere specific. Go to Utah. I really want to go to Utah so bad. So maybe I can just go in my dream. Okay. So we're going to basically, basically the way this game is played is that One of us is going to start off and we're going to say, we're going on a trip to Utah. I'm going to pack. And we're going to say one thing that we want to pack for the trip to Utah. The next person has to repeat that we're going to Utah and then we're going to pack. But you have to say all of the items that have been listed so far. So obviously at some point we're going to forget an item or somebody's going to forget. And I don't know how we're going to remember because we can't keep track of them because that would be cheating. You can't write them down. So. We'll just see how long – we'll just see what happens. I don't know. You can win because I'll just be like, sure, you said that last time. All of my brain is Well, the listeners right then – I guess after the fact, then the listeners can tell us who won. They can, okay. keep, they can keep track for us when, the, when this comes out. Uh, but yeah, we can't write them down because obviously then we would have them in front of us and that would defeat the purpose yeah. of the game. So, all right, Melissa, why don't you start us off since you want to go to Utah? <laughs> I do. I'm going to Utah and I'm bringing skis. Okay, I'm going to Utah, and I'm going to bring skis and sunscreen. I'm going to Utah, and I'm going to bring skis, sunscreen, and a jacket. I'm going to Utah, and I'm going to bring skis, sunscreen, a jacket, and a phone charger. Nice. I'm going to Utah, and I'm going to bring skis, sunscreen, a jacket, a phone charger, and a watermelon. I'm going to I don't know. And I'm going to bring skis, sunscreen, a jacket, a phone charger, a watermelon, and a knife. Okay. We need it for the watermelon. <laughs> True. Okay. I'm going to Utah and I'm going to bring skis, sunscreen, a jacket, a phone charger, a watermelon, a knife, and a Nintendo 64. <laughs> okay. I get bored. I'm going to Utah and I'm going to bring skis sunscreen, a jacket, a phone charger, a watermelon, a knife, a Nintendo 64, and Donkey Kong Country. (laughs) Well, very specific. I've never even played that one. Okay. What? I'm going, no. After we got out of Super Nintendo, I can't do, my brain can't comprehend the bigger games. Okay. I'm going to Utah and I'm going to bring skis, sunscreen, a jacket, phone charger, a watermelon, a knife, a Nintendo 64, Donkey Kong Country, and a notebook. Okay. I'm going to Utah, and I'm going to bring. I already forgot the first thing. Hold on. This isn't good for you. Skis, sunscreen, a jacket, Mm -hmm. a phone charger, Mm -hmm. a watermelon, a knife, a Nintendo 64 with Donkey Kong Country. Oh, my gosh. What did you just add? literally just added it and i literally forgot what you just said i'm going to tell you because i just crashed crushed this game then a notebook oh a notebook oh yeah, it was yeah very so boring. i lose wow we actually got pretty far like farther than i thought we would <laughs> i know i know i agree I was ready. My next one was going to be a flag of Malta because all I'm learning with my son right now is flags. I know like a lot of them now. Um, But yeah, that's one when he tells me I'm like, I don't even know that. 
at all. My next one was going to be a sleeve of rice cakes because I'm hungry and thinking about food. Rice cakes? (laughs) That is the worst thing. Sorry, Utah. Mandy's going to ruin her own trip. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That one was fun. I like that one. I think that would be a fun one to play. Um, Again, like with other. Fortunately and unfortunately, is so much better than that. That okay, was like sorry. Ugh. I just didn't know. Well, maybe we'll have to try that one again. I just felt like that was my first time ever playing it, so I felt like I wasn't sure if we were doing Mine it too. Good or doing it right. What are, what are we? <laughs> I don't know. We're in the same boat. Okay. No, it was fun. Okay, they were both All fun. Right. I thought, but so that too. one. That one can get funnier, but we kept getting into weather stuff, so it got yeah. a little weird. We need like a more, like I said, we need a more clear direction to start off with if we're going to play the fortunately, unfortunately one. We need to come into it with a starting point and not just try to wing it on that. I think that's where we went wrong. I'm going to say I'm going to Utah next time too. Okay. I'll do that for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that was our episode for this week. Before we go, make sure you check out patreon.com slash moms and mysteries podcast. We just had put up an episode last month on Killer Dozer. It was about- yeah. A guy that literally was trying to take out his entire town with a bulldozer. Yeah. And we even maybe have a new quote from there that will be on a piece of merchandise shortly. So, yeah. Also, make sure you check the show notes. We have all of our advertisers are listed in there. If you want to check them out, that is a great place to find them. But otherwise, that's it. There you go. All right, guys. We will see you back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye.